Father, we come before you. We desire to sit at your feet and learn of you and your ways. We ask, Lord, that you would draw us closer to you, your son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, which dwells within. Help us to have a close relationship with you and how you interact with us. We pray that you would provide for us wisdom and understanding. And those two things beyond our years, Lord, as we desire to know your will and to do it, we pray that you would bless our efforts here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Every once in a while, we need to take a step back and examine where we are in life and what we have done and where we are going. And God tells us to do that specifically in connection with our faith. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? And what kind of test would you take? Is it a written test? Well, it's are you loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you doing what he has asked you to do? Have you sat back and taken an inventory of your life? Are you different from the time that you got saved to the time that you are dwelling in now? That type of thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 28 and 29, it says that we're to examine ourselves before we eat and drink of the bread and the cup in communion. Now, we're going to have communion today because the people back then, they were not drinking in a worthy manner. They were not partaking of the bread in a worthy manner. They were involved either in sin or they were hoarding. They would have these big agape feasts and everybody would bring food, but they would hoard it mostly for themselves and they wouldn't give any to those who were around them, uh, those who were poor, those who didn't have much. And so God judged some of them and they fell asleep, quote unquote, or they died as a result of dwelling in this type of sin. And so there's an examination that has to take place when we receive communion. Also, Lamentations chapter 3 verse 40 says, let us examine our ways and test them. And so we're supposed to test where we are as believers. And in the book of uh, Psalms, it says, test me, O Lord, and try me, examine my heart and my mind. So we're supposed to spend time with God and invite him to examine us where we open up our hearts. And it's like a form of meditation where you're meditating on God and you're talking to him. You say, God, is there anything in me that needs to change? And you look at that and you say, oh, what? Oh, yeah, that area. And God is faithful to do that. For me, it's not pleasant to do that. It's not pleasant to sit at God's feet and say, God, is there anything you want me to change? Is there any direction you want me to go that I'm not going? Is there anything that I'm being disobedient in? And you don't even have to do that all the time. He just tells you. Often when I'm driving, God will just let me know. He doesn't speak audibly where I'm going, what? And he talks to me back. It's not like that. It's just a thought comes in my mind. It's like, oh, yeah, that. I need to deal with that. And so the, the point of this is we're supposed to examine ourselves. Now, this goes with ourselves individually, but this also applies to us as a church. As a church, we're supposed to look at ourselves and examine ourselves. Are we really a church that belongs to Jesus Christ? 
Is this church just based on Pastor Bill and everything that he wants and everywhere he's going? Is it Bill's way or the highway? And is that what's going on? Or are there certain fiefdoms inside of Calvary Chapel where people exercise control, lording it over others? Or is Jesus Christ the one who is actually in control? And so I sat down and I started listing everything that we do. And I've done this before in the recent past. And right now, the biggest thing that's coming up is the spirit of Christmas on the main. We are able to do this as a body. It's something that we're called to do. You know, in the book of Acts, it says we're to reach out to Jerusalem. This is our Jerusalem and Lakeside. To Judea, which would be the areas in the outskirts, whether Alpine or Santee or Lemon Grove or wherever it might be. We're to reach out to those areas. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Samaria might be throughout the state or in other states. And then unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We are actually called by God to go in the different places that we go, like Mexico. We're coming up, we're having a meeting today about Mexico and about the spirit of Christmas on the main. And as many as can go, we should go. We should have a um, passport ready to go or a passport card. Uh, we also do Cambodia. And now, Cambodia, Africa, and Mexico, I understand that not everybody can go. But these aren't the hallmarks of Lakeside. These don't receive or shouldn't receive special treatment. Like if I walked around and I started taking photographs of what everybody did here in the church. Like, for instance, if I showed up on Friday or Saturday, whenever the cleaning crew comes in and they clean things, and I take a picture when they're next to the Universal Rundle, and I say, smile, and I take that picture and I put it up here and I go, look. Here's so-and-so, and they're cleaning the toilet. And I go over in the hospitality. I take pictures of people doing the donuts. It's not that they're insignificant. It's that, well, we don't have anybody taking pictures like that. I mean, who goes around and just starts taking pictures of everybody, and we put it up here, and all of a sudden it's I Love Me Club. This is what I'm doing, right? But when we do show pictures, it's to be accountable because all of us as a body We give of our time, effort, and resources, our cold, hard cash, and we send people or we send money over. And everybody in here needs to know where that money's going. See, we were actually there and we actually worked. And so that's why we'll show that. But it doesn't make it more significant than the person who is cleaning the bathroom on Friday or Saturday. All of these different ministries have their particular place. Now, we've done... Mexico, Cambodia, Disaster Relief in Bay St. Louis, Baton Rouge, New Jersey, and Baytown, Texas, Africa. We do VBS. We have a hospitality ministry, a cleaning ministry, the Sunday school. Uh, There's a few ladies that sew uh, for the thousands of eyeglasses and sunglasses. We give away these little pouches. And by the way, we have given away thousands of glasses and sunglasses. We have the uh, women on the worship team that are involved. We have the women's ministry, the men's ministry, the ushering ministry, the secretarial uh, job that is there, those who assist on the board. We have the sound ministry, the IT ministry, the prayer ministry, building and maintenance and painting and that type of thing. You know, the building just doesn't maintain itself, and we have to do that. There's home fellowship. There's high school youth group. There's backpack outreach to the kids in school. There's the Cambodia Orphanage we support, the Cambodia Girls Home we support, 
the word to the world with Drew McIntyre, and he's the one that we do the medical missions with. The Lakeside Help Center, we support them. Basilio down in San Catin. Kent and Sherry Pixley in Croatia. The Shoebox Ministry that's headed up by Yolanda. She's at another uh, place this morning pushing that same shoebox uh, ministry. Then we have some outreach. Uh, some people in the church do some outreach to those in prison. Uh, we have several men and women who have grasped the scripture and are able to teach it to others. And also, as far as encumbrances, we have no encumbrances in this church except for the mortgage. Now, I think there's a little bit on visa right now, isn't there, Kim? Maybe a little bit on the visa, but it's not anything that we couldn't just, boom, pay it off and it's all done. And so, as far as the church corporately, we are well-balanced. We don't have the debt. We don't have the encumbrances. We have these ministries that are vibrant. Is it a little warm in here? You want to turn that down a little bit? Okay, it's just fine. Don't turn it down. We have blankets. We, I don't know how we solve that problem eventually. But uh, anyhow, we are well balanced as a church in what we do and just our makeup. Quite frankly, we are blessed. If you compare us to other churches, which it's really not a good idea to do that. We have a lot going on. I, there's a lot. But if you just show up to Sunday... You don't see it. You're not aware of what has taken place. And the only reason people aren't aware, if they're not aware, is because they're not doing something themselves. They don't interact with the individuals who are in church. So this is not a testimony of our own abilities, our intelligence, our wealth, or our might. And also, when something, an event comes up, or we're going to do something, you can be guaranteed there's going to be an attack. Now, we have the spirit of Christmas on the main coming up. Do you think that there's going to be some disagreements? Yes, there will be some disagreements. Probably as we're setting things up. No, that needs to go there. Well, why don't you put it over here? It would be better over here. No, I think it ought to go there. Well, let's go ask Pastor Bill or let's go ask Steve what should be taking place over here. And you can just see how the enemy would get in there and just kind of disrupt things. I, I remember one uh, pastor, this one pastor, you might know him, you might not. I'm not going to mention his name. But he was upset that another pastor was going international all the time. Why don't you just do ministry at home to the people that are home? Because Acts says, do home, do the surrounding area, do international. That's why. But he got all upset. And then, you know, it's like it was another Calvary Chapel on a one Calvary Chapel. It's like, we don't need to be doing that, right? We need to be unified in our goals and be led and guided by the scriptures. Now, when I think about all of us in this church, I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Now, if you'd like to turn there, I don't know if, John, if you can put that up. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31 says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. You might be saying, wait, Pastor Bill, what are you calling us? You know, I, I'm not calling you guys fools. You're not, maybe you're a fool for Christ. But, you know, how many PhDs do we have? How many masters of arts do we have? It, it's just, we're in Lakeside. And God has said, 
I'm choosing you guys. I'm choosing you guys to do all these tasks here locally and internationally. You are his favorite for the task here at Calvary Chapel Lakeside. That's why you're here. Because God called you here. No, I chose to be here. Yes, you did. But God chose for you to be here as well. That's how scripture works. And when we come to that realization like, wow, God, you, you had this all set up and ready to go that we might come together as a body and accomplish these things. Yes, that's exactly what he did. He, and it goes on to say in verse 28, he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. I don't know of anybody in this church that goes around saying, see what I did? It's see what the Lord has done. And that is such a blessing from my perspective to see this. It's almost like to to get this perspective, you have to go from this point up to 20,000 feet and look down at the church. I'm speaking metaphorically, but look down on the church and see how it's operating. Just get back a little bit, not being in it. It's kind of like the phrase, you can't see the forest through the trees. We're in the midst of the trees. Well, back out a little bit and you can see the beautiful landscape and the trees which are changing because of the fall color and the lightness of the snow that goes down and the bubbling brook. I I mean, it's alive. We are doing well when it comes to our service to the Lord in this church. So in this church and its ministries, it's not about us individually or even corporately, but it's about Jesus Christ and his faithfulness. Now, the fact that he put us all together as a body of believers, we have influenced literally thousands of people over the years. Now, we are not mighty in numbers, size, that type of thing, but God has chosen to use us. If you took the um, illustration that Jesus uses and you sow some seed and some of the seed returns 30, 60, and 100 times what is sown as we look at what's going on, we're producing about 100 times what is sown. And that's excellent. It's always been my prayer that as a body, corporately and even individually, we are able to get a good return back to, or give a good return back to God for what he has given to us. Now, we are parts. We are not just one big wheel, one person with a big wheel rolling. We are like a bunch of little wheels that are rolling. We are like the parts of the body. Now, I've explained this when I've gone through 1 Corinthians, but we're going to do this again. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. But this is how God has put it together. Now, the point of this message here is ministry tips. First, you have to have the perspective. What is going on? And who are we? Then I want to give you guys some tips as far as how we can continue to have this happen, things that are a blessing that we can recognize, and also things that we should continue to avoid. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. Uh, Time out here. Is it getting cold? It's getting cold. 
Turn that dial up one more notch or however you do it. Daryl, if you could take care of that. I want to make sure everybody is so comfortable and it's a nice little hot and warm and cozy. Let's go on. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink, which means we are unified. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, could you imagine that? We're all an eye, we walk in here. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Like, for instance, if you looked at the cleaning ministry, the hospitality ministry, or the Sunday school, those things are indispensable for the life of the body. They are just as important, if not more so, to my job up here just being the lips and just giving you the message that God wants you to have. And so there is not one that is more important than the other, as is pointed out here. And it says, and the parts that we are, are that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that it lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Who here has a physical ailment, just raise your hand. Something like a sore, a joint, a you know, headache that recurs. And most of us in here, right? When it, for instance, if you get migraines, what happens to the rest of your body? It goes flat, turn off the lights, don't talk to me, and you have this nauseous feeling, right, that you're going through. What happens if you have a joint problem? Your whole body's out of joint. You know, you can hardly walk if it's your knee or something like that. Or, you know, as a kid, you used to take a baseball and you used to throw it way back here. Oh, that rotator cuff is hurting a little bit as you get older and you can't quite throw it as far. Maybe you throw a little side and underhand now. And so if there's one part of the body that you think is indispensable, try stubbing your toe. That one little toe will cause your whole body to writhe in pain. Tears will come down your eyes. You look at your nail that has been peeled back and you're thinking, oh, this is horrible. And so somebody's in the cleaning ministry. If they get stubbed, you're going, oh, as another part, maybe you're in Sunday school. You're looking at the cleaning ministry and go, oh, you poor thing. Everybody hurts because of it. And so that, that's how God has placed us together. He wants us to be linked by this nervous system. The nervous system is the Holy Spirit. He's in all of us. Our nervous system, I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, medical 
view of a nervous system in the body going from the brain all the way down the spinal cord and all the nerves and the nerve endings. They have actually taken that out of somebody's body and placed it up there. And you look at that and you go, oh, what a rat's nest that is inside the body. And so we're all interconnected via the Holy Spirit. And I want to emphasize this. There is not one ministry that is greater than another. Now, in all cases and in all churches all over the world, even if we were to parade each ministry before the church on a regular basis, some would take offense on focus being given to one ministry or another. As I just explained, the one Calvary Chapel who was upset of somebody else going international. If we had, uh, if we were to operate like some churches where they have boards and committees, there would probably be infighting on how much money should go to this particular ministry. And we spent that much last year. How come we don't get any for ours? And you could see how the infighting could take place. In Gene Edwards' book, How to Prevent a Church Split, they, he talks about in churches how people just bicker back and forth and how the roof tiles were the wrong color and who got this color of carpet. And I've explained this before that there was one deacon that actually put out a hit on some elder or a pastor i forget which in some church because he was so upset that this this guy would not vote his particular way and imagine that a church full of sinners you know and and that's exactly what we have but again the common thread that we possess is the holy spirit so every ministry is just as important as the next there is not a favorite and there is no such thing in this church as a favorite ministry. And I I try to go to great strides to make sure that that is the case. Now, the oversight of the ministry, I believe God raises up individuals to head each ministry. It is our philosophy here, it's my philosophy at Calvary Chapel, to let people lead. If they have a ministry, I say, congratulations. It's all yours. And you get to make the decisions. Now, if, if I see that an error may be happening, I may say, wait, little course correction. Mm, you know, let's, let's go in this direction. Or if one of the elders see that, they, they say, you know, maybe you ought to do this thing. And of course, scripture tells us, seek out counsel. Don't just think any, even me, don't think that we're know-it-alls. I know how to do this. Just get out of my way. And I'm going to make, that's a recipe for disaster. It is better to have the corporate influence on a particular ministry to help it go in a particular direction. And the person who can receive that instruction is the model of humility that says, you know, that's probably right. We should probably try that. That would probably be good. And so I let the people, I insist on it, that they formulate a plan, they execute it, and they get to receive the reward for their labor. They get to see the blessing. It is not my job to micromanage. I, am, I do not hold the insight on the Lord's will. We all do, especially corporately. He can let us know. And the finality of that, the end run of that is the scripture. What does the scripture say to do about that? In the men's group on Thursday, we were talking about homelessness. And how do we handle homelessness? Do we set up the bathrooms around Lakeside in East County? And do we give them needles for their drug addictions? Do we give them places to stay? Do we totally enable them? Or do we do nothing for them? Do we cut them off, not feed them, not give them any water? Because after all, the stomach is what motivates a man. 
If he needs to feed it, he's going to do something in order to feed it. How do we handle that? Well, Scripture can be clear. And corporately, we can, as we discuss with the men, we can arrive at an answer how we're supposed to do it at a church. Now, the church is formed by God. We are all formed by Jesus Christ, and all the parts are put together. And all of you have come from different parts around the country, maybe even internationally. I don't know. But God determined that we would be fit together just as we are. But it's good, as we are functioning, to examine our further roles and responsibilities. For instance, should we add a ministry? Should we take away a ministry? Should we let a ministry fall by the wayside? We always want to do that type of examination to make sure that we're following the will of the Lord. The Lord knows that as long as we seek after him, he will let us know his will. And we can understand that. Not only does the Lord know that, but we know that from Scripture. God wants us to know what his will is. So as we look ahead as a church, what should we look forward to during the fast approaching Christmas season and into the new year? And what are some of the pitfalls that we need to avoid? Well, as a church, you know, I've just told you, we are blessed. As I look at this from 20,000 feet, I'm looking at everything that's going on. I'm going, wow, Lord. You have done this. You are so good. But at that point, I need to put on the brakes and have you turn to Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, in verse 1, there is a warning for a church that's just doing well. It's reaching out. It's ministering to people in the local arena and in the international arena and in between. We're doing our job. We're seeking after new opportunities. We actually open a door if it's presented to us. Well, Ephesus was doing this. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. I mean, I look at this and I'm going, yeah, that's kind of what we've done over the past 26 years. That's good. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat up from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So what are we supposed to take from this? We can do all these works. We can say, we're doing well as a body, as a ministry. All these things are flourishing. They're, and not that you're not going to have problems in the midst of that. We will live a godly life in Christ Jesus. You serve him well. You're going to have opposition. You're going to have pushback. That's not what he's talking about here. It's that we can get so involved in the ministry, we forget to spend time with Christ. We forget about devotion. We forget about prayer. We forget about seeking his direction. We are so busy, we forget about God. But yet we'll claim we're still doing it for God. Here we do a self-examination. Are we getting up, seeking the Lord, getting into his word, asking for his blessing, interceding for others? Are we diligently studying to try to know God's will? 
And are we placing it in our hearts to where it becomes second nature, where you can rattle off a verse for a particular problem in a particular area, and you can claim that verse, so to speak, that this is God's promise, and this is what he has promised not only for us individually, but as a group of believers. Are we interceding for others on a regular basis in this church? Are we seeking to build up those who serve in the ministry? Or are we complaining, arguing, murmuring, and grumbling, you know, that type of thing? This is what God has told us to look for, that we do not miss our first love. When you got saved and when I got saved, I know for me it's like, give me something to do, God, for you because you saved me. You know, I just get all fired up about that. And I'm passionate a little bit, you know, about church and serving God. And and sometimes I can just bowl over and just look at the goal and forget about God. It's kind of like the child who learns how to walk. When they're walking, when they first start, you know, they're kind of doing this thing. They're kind of wobbly and they're trying to stay up. And as they walk, then they look at the parent, right? And they're, they're, I'm walking, and the parent's going, so good. And what happens to the child when they look at the parent? They just go right over, you know? But God has us fall down a little bit because then we look right back up at him going, ah, he's still there. But then we get up, we start walking again. But as we begin to run, not just walk as an infant, we see Christ ahead of us. And we keep our focus on that. And I talked about that probably a month ago. You just keep your focus on Christ. You do not get distracted. You maintain the course. And that's what God is calling us to do as a body here, a body of believers. Can I have that temperature up one more notch, please? Now, we also, that's the first thing we want to avoid is not making the mistake of the church of Ephesus of leaving our first love. Secondly, and this is more prevalent than you would know, Maybe you do. We want to avoid the mistake of gossip. Now, there's gossip, there's grumbling, there's complaining, there's dissension. Another way to say it, bellyaching, muttering, objecting, griping, protesting, moaning. (laughs) Okay, I want to know, who in here is perfect? I know Nate is, but is there anyone else? Is there anyone else in here who is perfect? Anybody want to admit to that? Okay, so God has said, I'm going to take a cracked vessel, a cracked pot, because we are vessels, and I'm going to put them in charge of a ministry. And they're a little leaky sometimes. You, you pour the Holy Spirit in there, the Holy Spirit leaks out a little bit, and the flesh gets filled up in there. And, and so anybody who serves Christ is going to have a problem. Either, usually, with themselves, somebody's going to look at them, and they're going to say, you're the problem, you're the reason for my discontent, and they're pointing right at you. And you might just go ahead and say, you know, you're probably right. I probably am the reason for your discontent. I'm sorry about that. Would you like my job? That's all you have to do. See, go ahead. If if Lord brings somebody along that... uh, can preach in this ministry better, more effectively than I can. I know at that time, it's, I need to step aside. And it's going to happen eventually. Not tomorrow. Maybe not next week. But eventually, Lord willing, he will have this church survive all of us. It'll just continue. And God will choose who that's supposed to be. But nobody is perfect 
in ministry. And so when we look at others, we're not supposed to complain and gossip and murmur about them. And man, I never get what I want when I talk to this person. You know, it's just so frustrating. Or you could say, well, they're a sinner. (laughs) And God called it. God is absolutely right, but he chooses to use all of us in these different places in ministry. You know, it's like, for instance, the hand, parts of the body, the hand just saying to itself, I don't need the eye. I'm going to do what I want. And the hand reaches out to try to do something in ministry, and they actually put themselves on a burner on the stove. And if they only would have gone to the eye and said, what difficulty is up in front of me that I can reach? I want to do this. They'd say, just avoid anything to your right and you'll be just fine. They can provide wisdom. That's how the body works together. And so when it comes to gossip and murmuring and grumbling and complaining, I have some verses for you. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight: A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. And without Wood, in Proverbs 26, verse 20, a fire goes out without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Now, I want to say this. If somebody inside the church or outside the church comes up to you and causes you to form a different opinion of somebody in this church or a ministry in this church, and you are not talking to the individual who is being accused You shouldn't be listening. You should just simply say, why are you talking to me about this? You need to be talking to the individual. Now, there's certain things in Scripture. We know that if we have somebody that has something against us, Matthew chapter 5 says we're supposed to go to them. If we know that we have sinned against somebody, Matthew chapter 18 says, or somebody has sinned against us, Matthew 18 says we're supposed to go to them. And it says, Go. Do not send a text. Do not write a letter. It says go. Some people would say, well, I should seek counsel before I go. No, it doesn't say that in Scripture. It says go and work it out yourselves first. Well, shouldn't I talk to somebody about it? If you want to find out if you're supposed to go, talk to somebody about it. They will tell you Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18. But know this. This is specifically how the enemy works. He will get in there and you'll be friends with somebody and they'll come to you and say, do you know what Pastor Bill did? Or do you know what Alan did? Alan, Alan did this. Or you know what? Oh, I could start naming names, right? And when you start naming names like that, you'll have a tendency to believe everything the person is telling you about the individual. Like I can complain about Daryl. Daryl, you didn't set the temperature right. How come you didn't do that? And he can do that right from his phone. He can set that. And then everybody in here would turn around, turn around and look at Daryl. Look at him. You see? He's completely to blame now. And I just influenced all of you in that direction, right? When he's probably innocent because Gary's over there messing with the dial. You know, and he has nothing to do with it whatsoever. And, and so you see how we can be in, easily influenced because we love the person that we're ministering to. But yet they're telling us something negative about somebody else. And the enemy gets right in there and then we form opinions. And then we decide to be a little less close. 
then we decide, well, maybe I not, ought not to be involved in that particular ministry. That's what grumbling and gossip does. In the church in the past, I've had a couple of occasions where I have found out that somebody was murmuring or grumbling about somebody else. I'm going to use a little axiom. I was on that like white on rice. I did not relent. And if in the couple of cases that I've had this over the years, and what I did was I made the person, as far as being the pastor of the church, I made the person, I wanted to be assured that they had repented of this. And if not, I was happy if they left. I do not want anybody here who is a gossip or a murmurer. This is one area that I will come in and just be a little insane to make sure that it does not take place. And you might say, well, that's awful mean. Yeah, the Lord hates it as well. And what the Lord hates, I want to hate. In Proverbs chapter 6, I think it's verse 19, it has a whole, uh, it's a numerical saying. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates. Yes, there are seven that are detestable. Haughty eyes, somebody who's prideful. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Hands that kill and a heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a man who stirs up dissension in the church or in the body or amongst brothers. And so if the Lord hates that, I can hate that. Now, God loves the person, but God also brings discipline. And all of us need to be active in this. If somebody comes up to you and says, did you hear about, you need to just stop them because you know they want to bring you to their side. Let, let me ask you something. If you've ever been in a counseling situation, do you make yourself look better than you actually are? We all do. It's human nature. You want to think of yourself more highly than we ought. And scripture says, don't think of yourself more highly than we ought. Why does it say that? Because we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We think we're better than we actually are. If you go to somebody who's not a believer and you say, why should you go to heaven? Because I'm a good person. Scripture says you're not. We're not. I'm not. We are utterly sinful. We are utterly harmful to those who are around us. That's what scripture says. And so enough about that. This gossip, it separates close friends. Without wood, a fire goes out. John 6.43 says, Stop grumbling among yourselves when Jesus was talking to those who were in front of him. First Peter chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. What, and what is that? It means bring people into your home without grumbling. And, and see, we are not unique in this. It was back in the first century church, and it was back in the Old Testament. In uh, Exodus, I think it's chapter 16, did the Israelites complain and grumble? You know they did. Was God upset with them? So much so they didn't enter the promised land. I mean, it's, it's a problem. It's been a problem. It will always be a problem. But we know how to recognize it, and we know how to deal, it. Just deal with it. You just say, go talk to the person. I'm going to talk to you in 24 hours to see if you've made arrangements to do so. And that way we hold each other accountable. Now going on with this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. I think everyone knows that by now. Do everything without arguing or complaining or arguing. And if you're worried about protecting your own name and who you are, because we know that a good name is better than riches and gold and silver. It says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And so if somebody is complaining about you, 
they're grumbling against you, just kind of keep your mouth shut and let the Lord defend you. You'd be surprised how he just steps in there and takes care of it. Then we want as a body to promote unity. John seventeen twenty three says, I and them and you and me, and we are all together. No, it says, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Romans 15, 5, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity amongst yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. God is big on unity, having one singular focus heading in one direction. Then also we want to serve and serve diligently. Now I am preaching to the choir most everybody in here does something. There are a few that don't, and I get it. There's always going to be people that don't. But we are called to serve, whether it's Christmas on the main or going international or, you know, what if, what if somebody says, well, I just don't want to. Okay. Well, imagine this. Imagine if you said, and I'm going to give some hypotheticals. Imagine if you said, I don't want to serve on Christmas on the main because I need to get to bed. I need my sleep. I would respond a little rhetorically. Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. God is saying in there, sleep is overrated. Now, we all need sleep, right? But if somebody is using sleep as an excuse, and by the way, the next day is Sunday, and so you can at least come right when worship starts or maybe a few minutes after. I'm just being a little rhetorical here. Or what if somebody says, I don't want to serve the spirit of Christmas on the main because they serve candy and I don't like candy. I think candy is of the devil. What what does scripture say in Acts chapter 10 and 10 and 11? It says, do not call unclean that which the Lord has called clean. So have as much chocolate as you want because God has declared it clean but people will come up with excuse after excuse and they will say you know well well for instance if if somebody is at a dance right say you were younger and you're at this dance and either you're a man or a woman a, a boy or a girl and the opposite sex comes up to you and asks you for a dance and you say it's hard work to dance and i don't like to sweat right well what if the scripture was all hard work brings profit You know, and you can use the scripture rhetorically back with somebody who says, I don't want to. Well, if they don't want to, okay, you don't want to. What do you miss out on? The blessing and the reward in heaven. Everything we do here needs to be focused on where we're going. And we don't, I'm including myself in this. We don't do that for the most part. We look at ourselves and say, what is good for us? me what do i like to do i don't like to do that i'm not called to do that well if the need is there do you think you're called and if you can lift a hand to help do you think the lord might want you to well i think that yeah we should probably do that are you going to be tired yes are you going to have trials while you do it yes Are you going to probably lay awake at night thinking what should have happened and how it didn't happen and what you can do next time? Yes. Is your existence completely blissful with not a care in the world when you serve the Lord? No, it's not. Who wants to sign up? It's like, 
Okay, well, that, that's what we get to do. That's what the Lord has called us to do, and that reward is going to be there for us. Now, another thing about this, what if um, somebody came to Christmas on the main and said, that's just it, I've had it, I'm done. I, you know, I've, it's hard work, and I want to quit. I would call that abandoning your post, right? Now, if somebody got a little upset at you for abandoning your post, like, for instance, if uh, the workers on, and not that they would, you know, I'm just using an example. If the workers at the uh, food station, at the popcorn or at the cotton candy, you know, we get a line out there. How many people are in that line? Probably a hundred of people, at least maybe 200 could be standing in that line waiting to get the popcorn and the goodies that we give out. What if the person at the popcorn machine says, I'm done, unplugs that thing and just walks away? What do you think the people in the line would think? Oh, what's going on? This is not good. Let's go, honey. You know, and they would, they would take off from that point. That's abandoning your post. And if somebody got mad, don't get mad at me. I'm taking off out of here. What if somebody actually did that? Well, it says if a ruler or a leader's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great errors to rest. You know, when we want to just quit, when we want to just stop what we're doing, the Lord says, don't. This is for your benefit. Or what about Paul in his fourth missionary journey? You know, he was going to Italy, set sail for Italy. He was under arrest at that time. And he, he told the people in the ship, everyone stay on the ship. Don't jump ship and, and do this in the midst of a storm because a storm was there. They threw everything overboard. And he says, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Well, what does that mean for us? God's telling us in the midst of a storm, if you're going through difficulty, don't just give up. Endure it until there's calmness And if the Lord wants you to exit or stop, you stop. And you just go on from there. But don't let tumult or tumultuous event just send you over the edge. The Lord wants us to persevere a little bit to learn from these things. We are to remain diligent and faithful. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Ecclesiastes 9.10, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men. And by the way, when I encourage you guys to do these things, which most of you are doing, I'm just bringing some more encouragement. You're not working for me. You're working for the body of Christ and you're working specifically for the Lord. And say yes when given an opportunity. You know, Isaiah... In Isaiah chapter 6, he saw a vision of heaven. He was up there. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And a seraphim came over, took a coal and touched it to his mouth and everything was made well. He was able to be there. And the Lord said, who said, who shall we send to speak to the people for us? And Isaiah said, here am I. This is one thing that we need to do. If the Lord opens a door for us, walk through it. If he gives you an opportunity, if he gives me an opportunity, the first thing we're supposed to do is consider walking through it. The second thing we're supposed to do is turn to the Lord and say, Lord, do you want me to do this? Because if the door is there, chances are he wants you to walk through. So I want to encourage you guys in that. Stay the course. Be focused. We want everyone to have knowledge and understanding of what God's will is for us. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepare in advance for us to do. So if you're feeling a little weary, know that you are blessed. Yeah, there's difficulty. It's a hard road. You get tired. You get frustrated. But God is going to bless you so abundantly when you arrive in heaven, you will not be able to contain the blessing. I think one of the tears that God wipes away 
is when he presents us the reward and we're just going to be overwhelmed. Like how blessed can we be? So my prayer for you is that you can continue, that you say yes, that you don't grumble, that you encourage those who are around you, that you gain a perspective from 20,000 feet. And may God bless everything that we do here. Now at this time, as a body of believers, we're going to receive communion. Uh, If the worship team would come up. And as we're playing a song, I mean, just cry out to God and say, God, thank you for what you have done because we're supposed to give thanks in all things and in all circumstances and cry out to God and, and say, thank you, Lord, for how you have enabled us to do your will here and help us encourage others to do the same thing. And as we sing the song, just join in as we give praises to God for who he is and what he has done. So if you guys would come forward, please.